episode is absolute fire. I went on Deborah Gets Red Pilled podcast to discuss the mystery of the Yuba County Five. It was so epic, I just had to share it. It is also an epic way to end the year and end the first season of Cosmic Peach podcast. But don't worry, January kicks off Season 2! Now, Deborah Gets Red Pilled is one of my favorite podcasts to listen to, and it was an absolute pleasure working with Adam and Deborah. In this episode, we discuss the facts surrounding the mysterious disappearance of these five men from Yuba County, and we try to solve the case as to what really happened that night. I have included the links where you can go and check out more from Deborah Gets Red Pilled, absolutely fantastic podcast. So as I was saying in the last episode, my show is a form of entertainment. If you don't like some of the theories I come up with or some of the information that I discuss, there are many different podcasts to listen to, But this is a place where like-minded people can get together and just talk shit, talk conspiracy, and have a great time. So take everything I say lightheartedly, and uh, I'm not going to quit doing what I'm doing. I'm sorry, you guys. I'm just not. I bring the fire, and if you're not ready, you may get scorched. And that's just the honest truth. So if you love what I do, please leave a five-star review. Go check out Deborah Gets Red Pilled. Happy New Year, everyone, and I will see you in 2023. Let's get right into the episode. All right, guys, welcome to the show. This is 
Deborah gets red pilled. What's going on, Deborah? Much. Let's just let our guest in. Let's see what okay. she's up to. All right. There she is. There she is. Hey, what's going on, Julia? What's going on? How's it going, guys? Today, our guest once again is the beautiful Cosmic Peach, Julia. Hi. Welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. I'm really looking forward to this one. Yeah, we are too. Um, if there's anybody that's going to do some fun research and form your own, that's your specialty is forming your own opinion once you've done mm -hmm. the research. I'm I'm not quite there yet. I can do a lot of research. I can listen to a lot of podcasts, but I'm not creative enough to figure stuff out on my own like you do. <laughs> I, saw... I think you don't give yourself enough credit. Yeah, I saw a while back you did a podcast on the Dyatlov Pass incident. It caught my eye. It's one of my favorite mysteries of the 20th century. Deborah, are you familiar with it? Absolutely. Absolutely. So, Julia, what happened at Dyatlov Pass? These, uh, they're Ukrainians, right? Right? Or Russians? Russian. So, like, it was like, uh, were they college students? So, some of them were older than yeah. others but there was nine of them and they were all like super experienced engineers really intelligent people and they had made several treks to the mountain where they actually eventually ended up dying on but they had made treks to that area before they were successful in all their other treks but this one time that they went it ended up in the death of all nine hikers, mutilated, various stages of like decomposition of the bodies. It was a massive mystery. Some of them and didn't were... they like take their clothes off? And some of them were wearing the other one's coats. Um, all of them were barefoot. Uh, some were missing eyes. Some were missing tongues. Uh, one girl looked like an actual skeleton. They had been prematurely aged. Skin melted off the bones. And they, uh, some um... of them had like the crush syndrome. Like all the bones on the inside were crushed like eggshells, but the body on the outside was pristine. Super bizarre. But yes, that is the Dyatlov Pass. They had cut out from inside the tents it's not yeah. the tents were all yeah. ripped up but it was they, they had cut out from the inside mm -hmm. yes. wild stuff were you able to come up with uh what you thought happened there yeah so i think that it was a, probably a directed energy weapon interesting uh, they were all involved in the kgb so they all had kgb connections and the KGB was aware that they were going on this trek together. And if I'm going to test out something like that, I would probably do it on my own people in an isolated area. And it, no, no witnesses, if you know what I'm saying. So yeah. I do think they were part of an experiment. Yeah, that makes wow. sense. Maybe there was all sorts of different aspects of this directed energy weapon that they were testing out. Like they're like, oh, this one can crush the bones. This one yes. can make somebody go insane. This, this one will make somebody melt. Melt. Yeah. 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 And you have to think like if they're testing something like this out on these people, 
in the various ways that they were found, it's like some of them got blasted directly and like the skin melts off, eyes, you know, gone, tongue gone. But some of them were just like crushed, but their outsides were fine. Yeah. And, you know, it's like, yes, I do believe this is something like a directed energy weapon because the uh, like indigenous peoples of that area were claiming to have seen glowing spheres in the sky. A lot of people wanted to jump straight to like, oh, UFOs, which is fine if you wanted to go with UFOs. But I think it was literally like an EMF like blast, like brown like that. And it just kind of in various degrees killed them all. Yeah. But, you know, glowing spheres have been ever present in Russia in this area. So it's a lot of just weird activity over there. Yeah, there's lots of cool stuff going on over there. Did you have you ever heard of the um, Tunguska explosion? No, what's oh that? man, you got to check that out. I think oh. that one is 1907 Tunguska, T U N G U S K A, and it was just the they say like the layman will say like oh this giant meteor struck, but um all like this huge area miles square miles and square miles were just leveled um by something they don't they don't know what it was to me it and it never does sound like the explanation they give because like they ruled the death of these nine hikers hypothermia yeah and what hypothermia do you know of that's melting (laughs) people's skin off crashing people's bones (laughs) You know, it just never makes any logical sense to me that the explanations they give for stuff like that. Yeah. Well, today, well, so I saw you posting about that and I was like, okay, maybe she's, let's see. I can't remember how the Yuba County Five came up, but I I remember. The American Ditlova. And I thought, is that what they call it? Yes. They call it okay, the so American Diatlov Pass, which actually, um, so I had kind of like posted, um, some promotional stuff on Instagram about the Diatlov Pass episode and you commented on it and you were like, oh, well, have you ever heard of the Yuba County Five? And I was like, no, but I'd be happy to learn about it because I know you always do like really interesting topics. So this one is definitely the American Diatlov Pass. I mean, it's crazy. All the twists and turns, my mind was reeling. Yeah. I've listened to uh, some some podcasts on it over the past few years, and um, you know they were all pretty good, but they were, it would just be like an hour long episode. And then I found that one that I sent to you that was like an eight part series, and they uh, really got into it, talked about all the different guys that were involved, and um, really talked about the landscape that it took place in. And that was the good part for me because I have spent years and years of my life in that general vicinity. And so when they're talking about specific roads and things like that, I know what, I know where they're talking about. I can picture it in my head and I've like been there. So it was pretty oh, cool to hear good. it like that. Yeah. That'll actually help me with my theory maybe. Yeah. It is interesting. I've never been to this area. I've never been to the Diatla Pass either, but like I, at some point, some of the stuff that I come up with has to be speculation. Cause I've never been there. I don't know. Yeah. But just based, and I listened to the whole eight part series that you sent me because I just found it highly interesting. But they kind of like walk you through each of the guys, the five guys, 
not talking about the restaurant here, people. <laughs> We're talking about five separate guys who went missing and they they show you their humanity because a lot of the time when people describe this story it's like for lack of a better word they say five retarded guys got lost in the mountains and that's just the end of the story they're idiots they got you know discombobulated and they all died of their own accord pretty much which i feel like is a gross generalization of what really happened. Yeah, it's uh, it was what I kind of took away from it was they were all kind of autistic guys. Yeah, before there was the intellectual the, disabilities and yeah, learning disabilities. The whole idea before four of them. before they were calling people autistic, um, they would just say there's just the umbrella term they call them retarded. Mm-hmm. Um, you know when that was still kind of a medical a medical term and um but what i took away from it was they they were in uh, yuba county california which is the upper part of the central valley it's typically a really really uh it's a rural community um based all on nut orchards rice paddies um, those are the things that are that are farmed there. It's a farming community, olives, all sorts of stuff. Stuff that grows on trees does really well. That's where all the almonds come from in California. Um, there's even like a heavy Sikh, Indian Sikh community there because that's what they're they were known for in their home country. So they all a lot of them immigrated there. Um, but typically it's a poor community. At one point in that show, they talk about how at during the 70s, at one point, it had the highest concentration of ex-felons who'd been released from mm-hmm. prison in the whole state of California. So that's pretty uh, a pretty high number. And um, yeah, it's uh, the Highway 99 corridor runs from the the top of of LA. When you get out of out of the San Fernando Valley, you go over the Grapevine. Central Valley starts. Highway 99 goes through every major city in the Central Valley in California. So Bakersfield, then it goes up to Fresno. You hit Modesto. You hit um, all those, and you come to Chico is the big one. Is a big one. Redding, and then it kind of ends at the top of Redding, and you get into the mountains before you go to Oregon. So it's a huge area. But um, yeah, so. I, I went to college at Chico State University in Northern California. And it is a always been known as like a big party school. There's tons, tons of fun going there. But yeah, that's just kind of what I wanted to get into. It's a poor area. And then you heard the interviews with the people there, and they have that they're all they're they're Okies. They moved from from Oklahoma, yeah, where Julia's from. <laughs> yeah, I'm from Oklahoma. And before I moved here, I spent a large portion of my life in Kentucky and my uh, family grew up in like the Appalachian mountains. So when I was actually listening to the podcast, it was a little homey for me. Yeah. Oh, I get it. Like these are just normal salt of the earth down to earth people. And I was surprised at, you know, I think some of them, it sounded more like Asperger's to me. Or yeah. like very the, mild form of the like, men? 
yeah and they was oh well they were retarded and i was like well it doesn't even sound like they were driving cars right they, they were had part-time jobs they no, had full-time jobs they had like good jobs working for pg and e and doing it that, that's the one point i was trying to make sorry to interrupt yeah guys. yeah go ahead um is that even though they're from it's like the, in the 70s they're getting called retarded and they're in this like kind of economically depressed farm community. There still seem to be these like really good programs for them that probably work yeah. way better than the, what they're making at, uh, autistic people do today. Mm, you know, yeah. like they're what they were describing those guys as doing. They had like working class jobs and were bringing home a paycheck and were going out to, to you know, play sports and go to games mm. and have a ton of fun. I mean, they're they're describing what like the average. 30 year old millennial man can't do today you know right and it just I, and the reason i like stress that so much is i feel like it gets dismissed because it's so easy to just say they got discombobulated and lost yeah. in the mountains because maybe they had it seemed as though maybe they had a level of mental dysfunction but it's not really that like these guys were smart enough to be driving cars working jobs having family relationships and and community relationships so i don't think that had a huge factor now one guy gary matthias had schizophrenia so that's not even close to Uh like intellectually i mean he didn't have any you know, he wasn't diminished right. at all. He just had this. And he uh, had been he had been in uh, Vietnam as well. Yeah, he was in the army. Yeah. So obviously discharged, was, but yeah, capable enough to be in the army. Mm-hmm. So and I just want to say the names of the men uh were Bill Sterling, he was 29, Jack Hewitt was 24. Ted Weeher was 32, Jack Madruga, 30, and Gary Mathias, 25. And listening to the podcast, they say the name Jack a lot, but there was two Jacks. So Mm -hmm. I just wanted, sometimes I'll just say by their last name to not cause confusion. But um, if you want, I can just kind of walk you through like a play-by-play, and then I can talk about what I think happened at the end. Fantastic. So I'll, uh, I'll pipe in every once in a while, Deborah. You yeah. can as well. Yep, Deborah, um, break in if you have any questions, and um, obviously, if anything comes up, just ask me, and we can talk about that a little bit too. But so it's it's kind of like you were saying they wanted to go to the Chico State. It was like a basketball game. Yeah, you. They, they were their... all on a basketball team together. Yeah. Right. Their favorite team was UC Davis. Davis is another Central Valley uh, city. UC Davis is a real renowned um, college. That's where my father went. My dad played baseball for him in the 60s. Mm-hmm. And then it's a it's about two hours south of Chico. So and it's uh it's it's kind of a su- rural suburb of Sacramento. Yeah. So it would have taken them two hours to get to the game. No, because they were their favorite team was UC Davis, but they were coming from, um, I think Olive Hurst is that the t- name of the town. So they're yes. they're pretty. I think they were. They said it was about an hour to Chico where they were. Yeah, coming 50, from. fifty miles from where they live. Yeah, fifty miles. Okay, mm-hmm. so not a huge stretch. Yeah, they were expected home that night and had 
a basketball game the following morning. Because mm-hmm. yeah. they were, there was like some type of like, um, they were doing like a vacation giveaway or something to whoever won the um, competition they were going to compete in. So they were all excited, like, oh, yeah, and we're going to go watch this basketball game. Yeah, because so- they thought they were going to be able to get to go meet uh, Sally Struthers. Who was like the special uh, yeah. Olympics spokesperson? Yes, she was supposed to right. uh, was Deborah. Deborah was um, Sally Struthers, like considered like a hot chick at the time back then. Um, she was on All in the Family briefly at the beginning. At yeah. the beginning, she was considered a hot chick. Yeah, got it. Hottie, hottie, patati. So they were <laughs> all excited about that. Yeah, and basically, so their car was found four days after the trip to go watch the basketball game and it was abandoned then a lot of moms of these men start freaking out you know because they know their sons they know if they say they're going to go to a basketball game and come right home that's exactly what's going to happen and if you've ever met someone who is autistic which i have some um, family members who are they don't fuck around with their schedule and like excuse my language but they don't they do yeah. not fuck around if they say they're going to be there at three o'clock and that you get there at 301 they're pissed like yeah. it's very structured so if they told their mom they were going to uh see a basketball game and then they would be home later that night you best believe they're going to be home that night so the moms already know something's wrong so they start wanting to call the police like, hey, these, they, our boys are missing. But the police, again, are like, oh, it's those boys, quote unquote, the slow ones. And uh, and they didn't really care that they were missing. And then they were like, well, if they don't show up within like how X many hours, call us back. And they never showed up, obviously. And um. It went on for months, this search. Well, it was called off. I mean, they searched for two days and then called it off due to snow conditions. Right. And but the family's kind of like they never stopped searching because like even if the police weren't going to help, they were still going to be out there. And I mean, psychics got involved. uh, Tip lines and rewards were involved. And anytime you put out a reward for information you're gonna start getting people who just want the cash so i think some of the tips that came in during the search were kind of like ah maybe that's true maybe it's not maybe they just wanted an extra 2500 bucks yeah there's a lot of uh, meth involved in that area of the country as well so you know a lot of desperate desperate tweakers hoping to get the money Mm-hmm. because th- at one point somebody called and with a tip and they were like we saw them at this gas station and they were in a red pickup truck which yeah. was not the car that they were driving they none of them had a red pickup truck and that oh and they were using the the pay phone and but nobody ever got a call so that's odd if you were missing from your family and you had an opportunity to get a pickup truck and a telephone, why wouldn't you call your family? And where did you get the truck from? So I think a lot of those tips were like, yeah, maybe they'll they'll believe that and I'll get a, some extra scratch. So 
And the psychics were pretty vivid, too. Uh, they were, oh, and I see them in a tent or in a cabin, which was pretty close. Partially, partially. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, and I think even a guy went up the mountain a couple miles from the car and he had like dousing rods. Huh. Yeah, he was, was like a water witcher guy. Yes, that was very interesting. Mm -hmm. Because he was just kind of letting the dowsing rods maybe guide him to where these men were. They didn't end up finding anything. But so the search goes on and on and on. Four of them were eventually found dead in strange circumstances. And the fifth one to this day, nobody knows. And it was... The one guy who was not intellectually Gary Matthias. Yeah. Are you did you um in in what I don't know what show that you guys all watch type so did they go did they talk about Joe Shonis? Yes. So that's the first thing that had me so upset because they supposedly got stranded on this mountainside and this guy what was his name joseph joe show s-h-o-n-e-s -E i'm not sure how it's pronounced oh, that's the that's the bullshitter guy no that's the guy yeah. who had the heart attack yeah, yeah the I think guy that was full of shit I, yeah. I, I think oh you think so okay it's okay. yeah. like one of those Community guys where they waddle around town half drunk, just spouting yeah, off at the mouth. Constantly oh. drunk. He said his story was so what happens is they're there they go to the game, people see him at the game. Um, then they go to a liquor store in Chico. Mm -hmm. After the game, they buy an incredible amount of snacks. Candy. Yeah. And then uh the 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 store clerk woman, she re reports seeing them all. They were all in good spirits, and um, none of them seemed in distress at all. And that's the last time that they were definitively seen. In my notes here, I have that it was shortly before 10 p.m. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, and then, obviously, that's the last person who ever saw them before they find the bodies the car was discovered more than 70 miles from chico in the wrong direction that is very important yeah and and not only is it like they got turned around to back to where they're from would have been a straight shot the landscape all around them they're in the valley they're in yeah. the central valley farmland it's just flat as soon as you start they start they got to go up Highway 70 into the Plumas National Forest. I used to be a wildland firefighter there, and I lived in the town of Quincy, which is the county seat of Plumas County. And they, once you start, you go to Orville, you start heading up the mountain up Highway 70. Beautiful road, great motorcycle road. If you ever get a chance to ride it, it's fantastic. Um, you would know. You would know that you're not going the right way. And they go all the way up the hill. The park ranger said that 
the car was parked on the side of Orville Quincy Road that runs through the Plumas National Forest. So that that makes a lot of sense. They would know, based on what you're saying, that they're in the wrong fucking direction and they're yeah. not. Yeah, and they and there was snow. There's never snow on the valley floor. It it'd be rare. You might see like it might snow a tiny bit, but it would not usually ever stick. You know, you'd see it every maybe ten years. It'd be like, oh, it snowed in the valley today. And on that, I'm so glad you brought that up because it's just like the Diatlov Pass with them being barefoot. It's zero degrees in the Diatlov Pass. You're not going anywhere without your boots on. like heavy bundled up you're gonna die of hypothermia so the boy's parents said that they all left wearing windbreakers yeah Mm -hmm. not dressed for why would they and then when they found the car it had gas Mm -hmm. nothing mechanically wrong with the car that would have caused them to get out yeah they said it was a little bit stuck in the snow but would have just been really yeah, really easy to push easy. out just push it right out mm-hmm. and also you got to think uh see sterling and madruga's fathers confirmed that both their sons absolutely hated the cold and hated the outdoors hated, yeah hated spending time outdoors so they're on the side of a snowy mountain in a windbreaker and they decide we're gonna get out of the car and just start walking why right. walking up back up, up the hill not back down where they came continuing in the wrong direction with the and they left the window down in the car For which what? magruder's mom said was really unlike him he thought that was the car was his pride and joy he would yeah. never leave it unlocked he would never leave it with the window down in a snowstorm mm-hmm and that's when that Joseph Shones guy comes in because he's like, oh, well, I was out there too and my car got stuck and I had a heart attack. And then um, he's driving you know, a Volkswagen bug, not like a Baja bug. Yeah, I know the bar that he left. I, I used to drive by that bar all the time. Um, he's, he's a local drunk. He uh, will go do anything to make anybody any every local knows him he just wants people to hear his bullshit stories and his story is that he was going up to scout out a ski trip with his family yeah after a night at 10 o'clock 10 p.m yeah it's perfect time to go yeah and so um everybody knows that he's full of shit he doesn't ski he's a fat guy he doesn't do Mm -hmm. anything athletic so no he probably if and he was in the hospital when the police got to him. So I think maybe, yeah, sure. He did have a heart attack or something of the sort. Maybe he thought he was having a heart attack. Because he was he able to walk eight miles from where his car was stuck in the snow. Yeah. I mean, it just doesn't hold water whatsoever. Because this is one of those guys that will just make up stories for the hell of it. Just to hear themselves speak kind of guy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So the whole, oh, I saw him and they approached. Hearing the story, it almost sounded like he was going to say the next thing that happened was Noah rode up in the ark and like all the animals <laughs> came down. And there's this, it was just outlandish, this story. Even the heart attack part was like, okay, you had a heart attack, but you were able to then walk 
X amount of miles and then do all the, it, it was like, why and how? So I quickly dismissed the whole Joseph Schoen's story. He also said that there was a woman, six men and a woman with a baby. Like what? <laughs> Were you hallucinating at that point? I mean, maybe he did have a heart attack and he was just seeing Jesus and all kinds of things, but I, it didn't make any sense to me. So then... I think that was when they started asking for information and they put that reward out. It started off as like a thousand bucks. And then they were like, all right, what's up? It will do like 2,500 bucks. And then people started coming out of the woodwork. Now, one of the things that caught my attention was a lady who claimed to be getting mysterious phone calls. Deb, did you hear about the phone calls? I heard about the phone calls. And she she had no relation to anybody in the case at all. But she starts getting these uh, strange, heavy breather phone calls. And what do they tell her, Julia? So the first, she's sitting in like her kitchen or something. The phone rings. She picks it up. And it's like you said, the heavy. (sighs) And then those five guys. I know where they're at. And then it just like clicks off. And she's like, oh shit, what's this? Some kind of sexual, like, what is that going on? A couple days go by. I think she actually calls the police mm-hmm. and says, Hey, I got I got a weird breather phone call. Couple days go by, or maybe even a couple weeks, she gets another one. Phone ring, she picks it up. Hey, those five guys, they're all dead. And click. And she's like, what the fuck? Calls the police again. They say, all right, if they call again, record it. And then I'm not sure if she got a third phone call. The, the next day. Say, okay, the Deborah, what was, day. The, what was the third phone call? The third phone call was, let me, I wrote it down. Let me see if I can find it. Um, uh, okay, here it is. Debbie Lynn. Debbie Lynn Reese. Um, uh next day he called and said they're all dead they're all dead uh, the second call he said i hurt those guys i uh, guess and the third call said they're all dead they're all dead i think it was the person the actual person in my opinion i think it was the perpetrator call. why do you think he picked her number I think it was one of those. So I I remember a story where it was like the niece or the cousin or the sister or someone of Matthias saw him at a diner, like a truck stop diner. Mm-hmm. And, and but, she comes around the corner and was like, oh, my God, like it's you. And it was it was crazy. It was hard to keep track of all the names and everything. But, yeah, it was one of one of the dead boys sisters years later. Right. Mm-hmm. is at the bar that's owned by her mother the the mm-hmm. mother of of one of the the dead of one of the five she says she sees gary matthias sitting at the end of the bar Ooh. on her way to the bathroom she freaks out goes and runs to her her mom and uh they go back and he's gone oh my god yeah i, I, I hadn't read about that she, one. Call, she called to him 
Yeah. She was like, Gary. Like, oh my God, Gary. Like, it's you. And then she like turns around and he's gone. Yeah. So I believe if you know what you've done, you also suffer from schizophrenia. Sometimes you just need like an outlet, not somebody you know, not somebody who is ever going to know your voice or even what the situation is. You just go phone book, random number. They live in this town. Maybe they'll understand what this message means and they'll tell the parents of these people that I just killed or had something to do with. And then at least the families can get some type of closure because they'll know that they're dead. So he calls. He's schizophrenic anyway. So he's paranoid. He's definitely not going to call like a member of their family or something like that. He's going to call a complete stranger. So he calls him up. Hey, uh, don't look for the boys. They're dead. Uh, and hangs up the phone like, oh, maybe that message will get back to the family. But I also don't want to be recognized in any way. You think that's why he said there were five? Yeah, that's very Including himself in that number. Yeah, so I just, I do think it was probably Gary Mathias. That's what yeah. most of the families think. And he was violent. Yeah. But yeah. did you, did you hear about what his friend Janet said? Longtime friend Janet said that he told her numerous times that he dreamed he and several men would disappear and die. So do you think, and this is me speculating, he had an episode, broke out into a, a fantasy type of rage, or maybe even convinced the other guys, like, let, hey, let me take you to this spot or let me show you this area, whatever. They get to the spot and he's leading them in a dazed, fantasy-like, paranoia state. And it eventually leads to the death of these men because they get lost up there and then they are not fully dressed hypothermia sets in and I'll get into a little bit on how each individual passed but he gets out because he's either one planned this all in his head like fantasized about it or two he's like I'll go get help and never comes back uh -huh. that's the hard part for me to make that make sense is that when we get in, we go back and talk about the routine that all these autistic guys are stuck to. How would he convince these guys to just, they were so excited for their, their basketball game the next day. How would he have convinced them nonviolently to, to end up there? I thought about that. At, the gas station. I mean, you can't like tell them, oh, there's all these chicks up here or anything. Guys aren't interested in that. Guys aren't interested in that. They're <laughs> right. interested in playing basketball. Basketball. At the gas station, he volunteers to drive. That would make sense. Hey, buddy, 
Let me drive. Don't even worry about, you know, I see better at night anyways. You have some snacks. We'll play the radio. We'll talk. I'll drive. Don't even worry about it. And I know a shortcut. I know. I know. Yeah. Don't. Yeah. And then they, he drives them out there. That makes sense. He, the car gets a little bit stuck. They might have, and the wheels start spinning a little bit. He's like, oh, come on guys. I'm my, that's my bad. Like, oh, let's get out of the car. He's kind of already got this fantasy in his head about this event happening. And he's like, well, let's, let's just, you know, we'll, we'll go up this mountain a little ways. Maybe we'll find something. And he's like the ringleader, literally, of the pack. Yeah. Not saying that they're like so slow and dumb that they, but obviously one person is going to be more of like a dominant personality. He's army. He's already violent, kind of like that super masculine like you guys are gonna listen to me we're in a crisis situation we're gonna head up this mountain and the other ones are like in windbreakers like oh shit like okay maybe we'll find like somebody can help us get our car and stuff or whatever they're following matthias he's probably the one that drove him the fuck out there my theory i wasn't there i can't say like a hundred percent this is what happened but it just makes logical sense to me. If they are going to drive in the opposite direction, probably the perpetrator's driving the car. Yeah, makes sense. I don't know. Where are you guys on that? I, well, that's uh, most of the, the four other men, their families all felt like that was, this, that's what happened, that he got violent because he was violent he had had many violent outbreaks maybe he i mean i didn't even think maybe he whacked them all in the head well they didn't well i guess i mean they let's go back to where they're lost and then they eventually get found i don't remember hearing that there was any damage to the to the remains. Yeah, but enough time had passed, Deborah, that that yeah, I think so. Time back, had uh, like passed. getting he hit somebody in the head with a with a stick, they could pass out. It gives you enough time to drive it, 15 minutes up the road at least. And uh so they were found three months later. So that probably was enough time for whatever. But if you listen to like the podcast episode that I listened to it. I think it's called just Yuba County five. Yeah. I'll look it up podcast. so I can reference it and let everybody know. Um, it's where I got most and of my Adam stuff from. Sent it to me. So I was really excited about it. And the, the way that the moms described the other four men is like, they were like big sweethearts. Yeah. Yeah. Not just dopey, but like almost like, okay, Gary, if you say that's what we need to do, I trust you. You're my buddy. You're mm -hmm. my friend. You wouldn't do something to purposely mislead us into the woods and leave our bodies to rot for three months. My friend, they put their trust in him because they almost had like a childlike innocence about them. Like, you're my buddy. We're we do everything together. You wouldn't purposely put me in this harmful situation. But Gary Mathias had like this split personality where he could be that sweet guy who's your buddy, who's your pal, but then he could snap and like literally become the shark from Jaws. Yeah. Yeah. And they had talked the all his family will try to defend him and say like, well, 
you know, he'd had these episodes in the past, but we'd got, that's when his meds were gone, were wrong and we'd got them right. Yeah. And the thing is meds are only right. If somebody's taken them, even if you got it figured out. And that's he, my thought too. recently before that, a little bit before he had been, cause he was still partying around town. He would, he would hang out with like normal people and go to parties and drink and do drugs. And he had been kicked out of parties and like would just like hang out, like look in the windows and say, oh, he's going to kill everybody in there and stuff like that. So he was definitely uh, susceptible to these violent episodes, these violent schizophrenic episodes. Mm-hmm. And it's not like he led him up the mountain and then like hacksawed him or something like that. I think maybe he almost had this come to Jesus moment after he got them up to the top of the mountain and was like what do I do I kind of feel guilty for leading them up here he didn't kill them and stab them and hack their bodies up like a serial murderer but he was like I'm just going to go get help guys and then left and never came back and they died in to, to the elements really a lot of them died so like some of them had toes missing a couple let's, of them let's get into that because that's a big big part of the story is how everybody was found yeah yeah one a thing i want to reiterate the car had gas it was running they could have gotten it back down they could right <clears throat> they made a different choice yeah, and I think that's like that pack or like herd mentality kind of thing where if we all stay together, we'll make it. But they put their trust in just the wrong, absolutely the wrong person. Yeah. And he could have even convinced them like, oh, we're never going to get this car out of the snow. We got to find help. You guys got to follow me. We're, we're going to go up this mountain. And, um, and that's really what it looked like in the conditions that they were found. Um, so... They were, a couple of them were discovered in this trailer in a. In a campground, know, kind of a, a camp, a campground. It's yeah. a, for, a forest service trailer, but it was, uh, yeah, it, it had been used probably in the past to, to house, um, seasonal workers. Like they'd have like a trail crew, like college kids would go be on a trail crew in the summer and you go and you maintain, cra- uh, trails, and then at night, they probably all go back to the to the bunkhouse. And that's where they would have stayed. But it was a, kind of an abandoned one that hadn't been used in a long time. It was full of canned food, yeah, dehydrated um, MREs, food. military rations, um, all sorts of provisions that would have kept them alive for like the, butane tank, the, the whole winter. They could have heat on and everything. And warm clothes right. in that place also but i read that just one oh sorry go ahead deborah i read that just one was found there although there were shoes from somebody else yeah that's the weird part so go julia yeah and i i in that podcast it said that a lot of those things that you guys were talking about the the um necessary things that would have kept them alive like heat food they were in like a locked mm-hmm. shed yeah and that kind of goes to my point as where they would have followed gary is that they knew breaking and entering into the shed was like oh that's a bad thing where we shouldn't be breaking into somebody else's 
thing or whatever. Like that's how the dads described it was like, they would have never stolen or broken locks or rummaged through sheds. Like that wasn't part, like they knew better than that. Like we had raised them. Like you don't steal, you don't break stuff. You don't break into other people's property. You don't do so. They literally died before they would break a lock. Yeah. So that goes again to my point where it's like they trusted that their friend was leading them to safety and he left them for dead is what Mm -hmm. he did. And one of them, the one that was found was Ted Weher. Um. And he was wrapped in like blankets and stuff. He was trying to stay warm. He had like no toes. His toes had froze off. And that's so crazy. I didn't know that if you got frostbite that bad, that your digits would fall off. Yeah. yeah. I thought they would like rot off, but I guess they just like clean, they clean, fall off. There was toes on yeah, the floor in there. Wild. And yeah. he was, but he was tucked in, wrapped in sheets. Like someone else had to do it. Yeah, he even didn't like cover. Head. He even didn't cover himself, and he and was his toes would have been that would have been really painful to have yeah. the sheet touching his feet, but they were tucked in. Mm-hmm. So he and he probably was, didn't do that. Himself. And he was dead from starvation, right? Yeah, yeah. Thirteen weeks, I think he somehow managed to live for 13 weeks according you know to his beard growth and he lost a hundred pounds so he was like uh like like a skeleton really that's how they described him he was starved and frozen to death but he would have done that rather than break into something and steal provisions yeah so I'm trying to paint the picture for people who are like, why in the world? And they had a shed full of shit because they would they had a childlike innocence about them. They weren't busting into sheds. They weren't stealing stuff. They were doing the best that they could with the little bit that they had with hypothermia and windbreakers with with their toes freezing off. Like at that point, some type of um you'd think survival mode would kick in, but they were just doing the best they could, trying to help each other, giving each other clothes. I think they were probably swapping shoes and stuff. And two of them broke off and were like, all right, now for real, we're going to get help. And they died off by the road. Um, And so searching like the surrounding area, leading to i think it was like down the hill or something like that they found the scattered remains of madruga and sterling they were between where the car had been abandoned and the cabin what was the overall distance from the cabin to the car i don't have that one in my notes was it pretty far like a couple miles yeah, it was yeah, it was pre- a a good hike for sure. Four yeah, because miles. The, cause, four okay. miles. Yeah, Deborah's guess. Okay. And um, where was who was the fourth that they found? Where was he? 
So Jack Hewitt was found two days after that. And his own father was the one who found a human spine around two miles from the trailer. And it was his clothing that was on the skeleton. So they knew it was him. And Madruga had the car keys in his pocket. And they said that Madruga and Sterling died of hypothermia. And obviously Jack did too, but he was in a separate area. And the two that were found together had always been like always best, been friends best friends, in, inseparable. And one of the psychics has said that she saw like two two of the boys dead together or something like yeah. that. And their family was, I know, said, I know it was those two. How heartbreaking is that? Yeah. Just yeah, and then the fact that his dad, his dad found him. His dad was like a real you know salt of the earth like you said oaky guy and like he he described like he came home from the army and uh you know it's it's crazy because yeah he has like an appalachian accent but he's from california northern california and he's uh talking about how he got home from the army and his baby was was yeah i can't remember how old but old a little older he hadn't met him yet because he'd been in in the service the service somewhere else and he came back and and like was like that boy's not right and i thought it was going to go somewhere bad from there but then it ended up the guy was just like a you know from a different time but really really loved his mm-hmm. loved his son you know like I, one time that his like, these are awesome people they let their their supposedly retarded kid have a motorcycle that he wanted <laughs> yeah he got, he got busted riding it on the freeway with no helmet on the cops bring him home and the the they go to him is your is your son retarded? And he goes, yeah, <laughs> like that, you know, and, just, yeah. and he said, oh, I do. I told him not to ride on the freeway anymore. If he wants to ride on the freeway, he's got to stay on the shoulder. You know, it's like right, yeah. right on. And one of them, I'm, I'm not sure which one, but one of them um, would drive a car. I assume it was a car. Maybe it was the motorcycle guy and he'd see the stop sign. But why do I need to stop? I don't need to stop. Right, so he would right. just go and, right um, I think one one of the moms w- was telling a story. Actually, it was the dad, the Oki dad. And he said, I was in the car and I asked him if a car was coming. And he said, no. And I went to pull out and it was a truck. And he said, you asked me if a car was coming, not a truck. And it yeah. was like that. I almost relate it to, um, and this is like kind of a bad example, but in Forrest Gump, when the mom goes to the school and she's like, no, my kid's going to regular school. Like, there's nothing wrong with him. Like, that's kind of how the parents were. They let them just live normal lives. And they were like, literally, my kid is going to do what all the other kids are doing. They're fine. They're out here living life, their best life, you know. So I just feel like the whole time, even in the newspaper, it was kind of they were misleading people to believe that um five guys escaped from a crazy house in a car and got lost up in the mountain somewhere and it just was not like that so did you probably definitely matthias though yeah matthias at one point um moved from marysville to portland to live with his grandma and he was on the phone and his parents said just come home. Just please come home. And he just hangs up on him. And some, I for, I don't remember how many days later, 
he knocks on their door. He had walked from Portland to Marysville. Yeah, it's like 500 miles. So that takes a different type of psyche right there. So yeah. walking up this mountain for him, that, that's thing. he was fine. And these other guys, they, they're not used to this. So they're, they're obviously going to be the most susceptible to like something like this happening. And even I think Weyher's brother has adamantly stated it was Gary Mathias. Y'all motherfuckers ain't listening. It was Gary Mathias. And even the uh, the county sheriff believes that it was mm -hmm. Gary Mathias. And he said that he believed that the men were forced or manipulated up the mountain by Gary Mathias. And the parents or the loved ones of Gary Mathias say, kind of like what Adam was saying, oh, he was not in it. That's fine. If if my brother, I don't have kids, so the closest relationship to me would be like my brother. And they're like, it was definitely your brother, Julie. He definitely killed those guys or he's the reason. I'd be like, you don't understand my brother's not like that. My, I would die on the sword defending my family, you know. But in the back of my mind, if I knew, like if my brother was like Gary Mathias, I'd be like, I'm not going to tell you he has crazy episodes and freaks out and has yeah. rage. And like, I'm not going to tell you that. They're defending their family. So, of course, they're not going to say it was definitely my son who yeah. did this. So you almost have to, like, disregard the bias of, of course, they love their son. Of course, they're protecting their family. Of course, they don't want to think he's capable of this. But in that situation, I would say neither did Jeffrey Dahmer's parents. Neither did Ted Bundy's parents. They were shocked at this. Oh, my God, the despicable. So, yeah, you're not going to be able to go off the family's testimony on that. You you have to judge people completely 100% based off of their actions. Mm -hmm. And we yeah. knew he was crazy. And violent. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So you think he gets them pretty early on in this whole adventure. How early on do you think they ended up at the trailer? Same night? Shortly next day? after. Yeah. Because yeah. yeah. they wouldn't have been able to survive um, out in the elements for very long. I think all of them were in the tra all four of them were in the trailer at one point. And maybe they were in there for a few days. Yeah. And then two of them broke off. Well, the Gary probably takes off first as I know how to go get help. Leaves. Fucks mm -hmm. off and is gone forever. The other two. Yeah, or even vice versa. Like maybe maybe the one the two go off and the two stay. Yeah. And then the two other ones never come back. So Ted's in no position to be walking because his toes are freezing off. So he's like, Ted, I'm going to go looking for the other two boys. Yeah. You stay here. Then he dies. Yeah. Yeah. I'll tuck you in before you, before I leave, I'll go find uh, whoever. Jack and yeah, because you almost have to think they're using the buddy system at that point, like to break off and they're like, Hey, We'll be back. We're going to go get some help. But they die. And it'll be a couple more days. And uh, I think it was um, Jack Hewitt. He's like, hey, 
they didn't ever come back. Ted, buddy, like you're, you're not looking so good, man. I got to maybe I'll go find them where they went or I'll just go get help. And then he dies. Nobody comes back for Ted. Ted dies. Yeah. What so, about um? What do you got, Deborah? I was just gonna say how sad if he actually, you know, did make it thirteen weeks. That's a very long time to yeah. be, you know, by yourself in a cabin in the snow. And he's the only one who had shelter the whole time. Yeah. So that part, while it's horrendous wouldn't surprise me that he was able to last way longer than the other guys who were kind of like trying to trek off in yeah what like little hoodie t-shirts in the elements yeah right they're they're goners for sure but you know ted and god love how long did he stay in there just waiting for somebody to find him and that's why the the heinous situation in itself would be enough for me if somebody was accusing my loved one, I'd be like, no freaking way they did this to these poor guys, you know? But why is he the only person they never find, but shows up at a mom and pop diner years later, just sitting there eating a pulled pork sandwich? And was that in, in the Marysville area or near yeah. where they... Yes. Why would he go back there? It, and it was owned by one of the mothers yeah, why and her would he, husband. Why would I he, do remember her saying like he was, he, he had the same glasses, but his face, his face, it was different. Like maybe he had grown his hair out. He had grown a beard out mm-hmm. and he was wearing some different clothes, almost kind of like trying to camouflage. And at some point you got to think he wants to return home to something familiar. So maybe he was like, Oh, they probably won't even recognize me. I'll just stop in. And then of course she sees him and she's like, Oh, Gary. And he bolts out the door never to be seen again. So he didn't make that mistake again. Right. And why would he bolt if he wasn't Gary, if she was mistaken and why would he bolt if he was innocent? Yes. You would think he'd be elated for yeah. like, oh my God, like my people. Oh my God, I want to see my mom and my dad. No, because he, and also that's why I think he made those phone calls because he was so guilty at some point. It's like you come down from that rage and that crazy, like almost hypnotic state of mind. And you're like, what the F did I just do? I got to tell someone they're still out looking for them. I know they're dead. So he makes the call. Hey, you don't got to bother looking for those guys in a weird, freaky way, trying to give closure to the families. Yeah, maybe. uh, Yeah. Trying to relieve his karmic debt or something like that. Another thing that was covered, though, later on in the show was that a local christian pastor who had been uh you know he was a real born again guy he had been in prison and done a bunch of really bad stuff kind of admitted during a sermon that he was the one who was responsible for the disappearance of the five boys do you remember that part julia 
Yes, and I have a theory on that as well. I think he was a sociopath. And a lot of sociopaths become pastors or any type of figure where people look up to you and um, like almost exonerate you and like build you up. They love those stroked. So sociopaths do end up in positions like that. Nothing against if you love to go to church. I'm sure your pastor is a great guy. This guy was not. And he loved people worshiping him. So I almost feel like he was that that guy who confessed to all those murders that he didn't really commit. You know, that guy. And they'd be like, we'll buy you a milkshake if you confess to this murder. Oh, yeah. Like Henry Lee Lee Lucas. Yeah. He's like a Henry Lee Lucas to me because there was some weird stuff about bodies being they tossed him in the lake and it was like, no, they didn't like you guys are just talking at this point. Yeah. There was rumors that he was uh, thrown off the Orville dam, which is a huge dam. And you cross mm-hmm. like this, you actually cross over. It's like a little mini. Um, What's the one in Las Vegas? Um, oh um, yeah. I don't know the name of it, but I know exactly what you're talking yeah, about. Yeah. It's Hoover. like, you know, Hoover yeah, it's dam. like a little mini Hoover dam. You like the bridge is like the, the, it's a big bridge. You go over the top mm-hmm. And then the lakes below, or Lake Orville's a big lake. Yeah. And um, yeah, it was just, uh, it was cool to hear it through uh, this lens now of like knowing where listening to a more in depth show that got into it. And, um, but the, oh, the one thing too is after at, uh, all the episodes ended, they had a couple bonus episodes and they make reference to the fact that. A person, the case has been reopened, maybe, and a person of interest has been named. Really? Yeah, and they don't say who it is, but yeah, something like that. Did you did you hear that I, part? I listened to one of the bonus episodes at the end where she was interviewing. I think it was someone who actually had their own podcast or something. She like was, that, she interviewed a couple of the uh, authors who are writing okay, books about it. Yeah. Yeah. So that is as far as I got with like the bonus content, but. I would compare this again, and you guys can take it or leave it, but when they say new information has been found, new suspects have been named, it's kind of to, one, re-traumatize everyone by bringing the story up again, and two, they do this with all of them. They did this with JonBenet Ramsey and continue to do this with JonBenet Ramsey. They do this with, like, Natalie Holloway. They do it, like, oh, we got a new suspect in the bit. They're bringing this story and rehashing it again. So it's almost like a ritual at this point where they have to keep re-traumatizing us with, like, that's why, and this is going, Deborah, more in a conspiratorial way, but the reason they keep making Jeffrey Dahmer documentaries and freaking movies and Ted Bundy movies and Gacy movies. Like, why do we have to rehash this over and over and like, we know what they did. Why? And the families of like the Jeffrey Dahmer victims came forward after the Netflix documentary. And they were like, do you want to know how we feel? Yeah. Stuff's not even true, and we just have to relive it with some parts the truth and some parts lies. And look in grotesque detail what he did to our sons 
and our brothers and yeah you know, and they the sickest part maybe not the sickest part of the whole documentary but the one of the really gross things they did is they like tried to force this this woke social justice narrative into the end they show like jesse jackson giving a speech where he's talking about black and brown people i guarantee you in the early 90s jesse jackson was not saying black and brown people that wasn't in the vernacular and and that's another good point is they also bring these tragedies back up so they can push a narrative yeah yeah so I like your your theory. I mean, I think it's the the one that makes the most sense. Is uh, Gary still out there? What's he up to? I think he's yeah. probably st- he's probably still alive. He's probably old as hell somewhere in uh, a bar. <laughs> think he's still think he's still shooting hoops. Yeah, he's <laughs> he's probably out there doing something. But I I wouldn't be surprised if they continue to uh, bring this up for the rest of time because they love and they being these people who admire these type of stories, they love to have unsolvable quote unquote crimes. The more unsolvable it is, the more, they can draw people into it. And if they just came out and said, closed case, we believe it was Gary Mathias, what's the intrigue behind that? Mm-hmm. Yeah. They have to keep us, oh, well, uh, and they found a new suspect, just like John Bonet. I have a whole episode coming out on this. You guys are going to love it. Ooh. But this is a easily solvable case if you take into consideration the behavior of Gary Mathias and, and how they tried to like divert onto like the pastor guy and then it was some um Adam wasn't it some like gangster guy or something that tossed the body in the lake or yeah some local drug dealers yeah there was some like soup some uh yeah they I think they're talking they there's a couple things they talk about the local pastor as like the he was like the town bully and mm. people knew who he was the families knew who he was and then they That's also the talk about yeah they also talk about um yeah just some local kind of hillbilly organized crime you know meth meth stuff probably this pastor so he he makes this statement to his congregation, congregation. yeah and so they all go, all right, well, let's call the police and tell them we know who did it. And then the police get involved. What did they do to this guy? He, I can't I mean, remember. I yeah. hope, I hope. Well, they did zip about it. That's why I always say, like, when they bring another suspect in, it's to keep the case going and to keep, like, sucking your energy trying to like oh my god it never ends but i mean who knows maybe the you know if we look at it from that perspective maybe the yuba county sheriff's department needs some extra state funding they dig up these cold cases and and say they've got a new suspect you know they get funneled funneled some money really good point seriously adam that's an excellent point we'll just dig up this quote-unquote unsolvable case about the Yuba County Five, and we'll get some extra funding our way. 
they love these unsolvable cases like that. It's like a never ending deep rabbit hole of money and trauma and the poor families. That's all I have to say. Like, I'm glad that they were able to have closure knowing that they could bury their sons because that to me is at least half of the battle is yes, you want to know who did this to them, but at least you have somewhere where you can go and visit on Christmas or birthdays and place flowers. To me, that's very important knowing that they've been laid to rest. So that I'm glad that they were able to have that. I just wish they would have not turned it into clue or like a choose your own adventure mystery out of it. You know what I mean? Because that that's like just a sell it at this point because they really could have the documentary followed Gary Mathias a little bit better and came to like a roundabout conclusion. This is the only guy who lived who was actually spotted years later diverted ran out of the building didn't even say anything so we can judge based on that that he's probably the main prime suspect story ends yeah yeah and the tragic thing about it is they get into a little bit in that show and yeah you're right the show is just called the yuba county five it's like an eight-part series you know it's one of those corporate kind of document documentary podcasts i enjoy listening to those every once in a while a lot of true crime stuff But they just kind of go through the multi-generational blowback that happened to the families after this case happened. Like these were their like beloved little, little brothers and cousins and everybody loved these guys. They were such nice, innocent, innocent boys is what they call them. And, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, families got, people got divorced, people died early, you know, all sorts of stuff like that. So it's not just. You know, I always try to emphasize to Deborah that there's always like, in especially in conspiracy stuff, but it's it goes to show you in this, even like 9-11, everything. You got to like, whatever action happens, you just got to keep following it down and down and down and down the, down the line. And, and you'll, you'll see like unintended or intended consequences are so far away that you can trace back to such a different event happening, you know, but. But these families are still suffering to this day from what happened, you know, back then. That's a really beautiful point you just made. And to go on that with a conspiracy type of of topic like 9-11, Deborah, it is by design that they throw these curveballs at you so you don't ever figure out what the crap is going on literally it would be like you're on the straight and narrow you get too close to the truth they throw a curveball at you and you're like oh my god what if that's a possibility so they divert you into looking something different Mm -hmm. but if you just keep on and you just get down to the very bare bones basics of the story it's almost so simple but they trick you with like all this look over here look over here look at the left hand while the right hand does this and you never feel like you get an answer because they throw so you're inundated with like information and useless information and you get to the point where you're like i don't even care what happened yeah deborah did you do you have um uh, anything different than than juliana and i's theory uh, no, that was what I went to. I mean, 
uh, you know, his, 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 the families all of the other four boys all said that he was, well, we know that he was violent because many sources said that, but the family said that he wasn't really one of the foursome. He, um, you know, the, these two were best friends and these two were best friends. And then he kind of led them around. Yeah. And um, yeah. And the basketball coach um, of their team said he knew he was going to flip any second. Really? Yeah. And all the family said, you know, uh, Matthias, is that how you say it? Matthias? Yeah. His, his family said that he, you know, had been on medication, was taking his medication. Everything was great for two years. Well, the coach saw a very different side of that. Exactly. Who's to yeah. say he was taking the medication? Right. You don't know. You don't know. You, you don't know what that grown man is doing, mm-hmm. obviously. And he's going crashing parties and getting blasted and talking oh, yeah, about yeah, murdering yeah. everybody at the party. Give me a break. What medication is he on? <laughs> yeah. And it's that it's that 70s medication, too, you know, which they didn't have it all figured out back then. It's probably lithium and and prozac or something like that you know yeah, that they, the... they probably gave him like a toxic concoction that just made it worse like yeah. so often like rohypnol and all <laughs> yeah, the yeah. tranquilizers yeah. And... yeah yeah who knows maybe maybe he i mean if we want to really get into it someday we can maybe he was some sort of lsd experiment in the army maybe he was phoenix project I, yeah. or something like that Did you know I I considered they did some experiments on him that messed his head up. And he was in, wasn't, was he ever in prison? He was. Dude. What was he in prison for? I didn't know that. What was he in prison for? He beat somebody up or had like Uh, one of his rages and like, yeah, like attempted murder or something like that. Uh Yeah. And that's, that's where they were doing all that stuff. Prison and the army and, you know, University of California. I know Deborah loves the occult Laurel Canyon stuff. Yeah, I do. And you're we're talking about in the seventies here, Deborah. Right. The occult Laurel Canyon glory day, right, right in it. Oh yeah, mind control, military operations, torture to death interrogations. We're talking about LSD experimentation. This dude was probably screwed up in the army they probably conducted some kind of a study or test on him he probably really didn't even have schizophrenia which is why they couldn't fix it well you can't fix schizophrenia anyway but yeah you you can can the outburst yeah yeah it was it was by design probably and i'll tell you you know now that you say that most schizophrenics are not violent Mm -mm. i know a couple schizophrenics and they're almost like timid yeah yeah Mm -hmm. so that's another like we could have even went into that further i was so concentrated on like uh debunking the other theories and getting down to like the root suspect that i didn't really look into the him being in the army but i do find it curious that it's california hey how close is yuba city to like the sunset strip it's like way on the other side yeah it's far yuba's north that would be a uh eight hour drive eight hour drive yeah 
Still Sunset awesome. Strips, LA. You, I mean, California's, you know, takes how long does it take to get to the top to the bottom, Deborah? 10 hours. Yeah. Well, so six, 10 it's, hours. It's yeah. six, six to 800 miles away. Yeah. But, you know, I mean, he was hitchhiking all around. I mean, he could walk 500 miles. Yeah. Maybe and he, was... he was in the army where all of those Laurel Canyon idiots came from. Yeah. I know, I know there has to be a connection there. Yeah. I'm just staring at my notes. Maybe this is the missing link. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Maybe we, we just talked it through and it popped into our heads. That's awesome. That's the best way to, to start figuring stuff out. So yeah, three, I, three or three or four of us get together on a podcast. We can solve all the world issues. That's why I love podcasts. Yeah. Yeah. I'm so glad we got to do this. This is uh, I think this is a good place to stop it. We can continue doing more research and maybe do a part yeah, two or let's... i think uh these uh true crime ones are a lot of fun for me because deborah actually talks you can tell she's happy she likes it she's not on the verge of tears you know so um oh i love yeah. true crime i love it yeah and uh i heard uh you might be coming on the monday night show next week yes i am me too we're gonna be there together i'm so That's excited freaking awesome yeah and uh another good a little good thing today is i got an email from one of my favorite fans of my show um rebecca and sincula she's one of our original fans who started emailing me and she's from that area she's from uh, right by chico i think she lives in southern oregon now but she's like a uh, mystic energy healer lady. She's really cool and, and a great friend of the show. And she uh, just sent me an email out of nowhere today saying, hey, just checking in, um, getting caught up on your show. I'm listening to the one you did with Julia, Julia a long time ago. It's fantastic. I've been listening to her show. It's pure gold. I love her. So, oh yeah. So that was cool. That that and that came through today. So that's that's a little, that? a little uh, synchronicity. Wow. So. See now that made my whole day. Wow, yeah, so awesome. Thank you for sharing that with me too. I hope Rebecca, let me know what you think of this episode. Yeah, I'll uh, I'll e- I haven't e- emailed her back. I'll I'll send oh, yeah. email that we just we just did this with her with you. So, um, Julia, are you going to release this on your feed as well? Yes, I am. I am so proud of this. We did so good together as a team. Cool. Somebody needs to hire us. Um, <laughs> but I will be releasing it on my show as well. So if you want to actually just say like where everyone can find you. Yeah. Deborah gets red pilled everywhere you get podcasts. We're on Twitter. We're on uh, Instagram. Email us at Deborah gets red pilled at PM.me. I answer every email. Now you Thank go. You. you you do all your plugs now. Okay. So I'm wherever you listen to your podcasts, um, iHeartRadio, the whole gamut. And um, I'm also on Instagram, cosmic.peach.podcast. And I'm thinking about starting a YouTube. So that'll be something. Um, we just and got I nuked. talk about a lot of crazy stuff. So I know they'll probably take me off anyways, but I'll, yeah. I'll give it a try. <laughs> yeah. We just got, uh, we just got ours, ours taken down for good. We got, Oh, that's good. That's yeah, great. It's just, a, I'll give it the old college try though. And just, just see make, what- make sure you link it to Odyssey and then, and then everything you'll, 
when you link it to Odyssey, everything you put on YouTube will go. Will Odyssey will will upload it as well. So when YouTube kicks you off, it'll still be there. So you'll have record of it. Okay, good. That's good yeah. to know. Actually, yeah, because I'm going in kind of blind here with the whole YouTube thing. But um, yeah. yeah. And uh, I love five star reviews. I read them off on every episode when I get new ones. I love interacting with everyone because without you, there would be no show. So fantastic. That's, that's my plugs. Deborah, where can people find you? Cubby, Wherever they find you. Cubby's a pit on Instagram. Cubby the pit. Cubby that's, the pit. that's Deborah's dog. And uh, yeah, this has been tons of fun. Way more fun than, uh, you know, trying to convince Deborah that everything she's ever believed in the world is, is a it's false a lie. lie. Yeah. And uh, yeah, there's other stuff I could say, but it's kind of mean. Wait. So I won't. <laughs> We're going to end on a high note tonight. It's uh we're coming up on Thanksgiving, guys. My favorite holiday, so I'm uh, in a festive mood, and uh, this made it even better. So thank you so much, Julia. Yeah, thank you. Fantastic thank you. Thank show. You. Thank and um, we'll talk soon. I love these uh, true crime collabs, and we'll keep doing them with you. When I figure something else out, fun, or you find something that you think Deborah might like, let us know. We'll do something else. So I'll talk awesome. to you soon on Monday, and uh, we love you, and we love all our fans. So thank you, guys. Yeah. Bye bye. bye.